So the, um, the labor and delivery room is a, uh, is a magical place. Um, and, and I know for some of you who haven't been there, it's a, mythical pre- it's a mythical place, right? Like maybe one day, or maybe you're saying maybe one day not. Um, but for me, when Heidi and I were getting ready to have our first, um, the whole process seemed strange, you know, hey, put on this gown and wear this hat, and um, we ended up, ended up having to have Avery in kind of a, a last a second C-section. So everything happened so fast, doctors running in, nurses all around, flashing lights, you know. Uh, and then, like, before you know it, you know, the doctor's like, all right, so, so you know, here she comes. And, and he's like, you know, like Simba, like holding up uh, my firstborn child, you know. It's this very strange, surreal experience. And I've talked about this moment uh, previously, but, man, after they, you know, they kind of wipe off some of the stuff, and I'll spare you some of the details, but... Babies don't look like uh, the baby dedications when they come out, okay? I'm not sure. Like, they're, they're not wearing a headband, okay? Um, it, it doesn't really happen that way. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget uh, the moment when I, when I held Avery for the first time. And literally the thought that was going through my mind in a powerful way, I mean, I was just, this girl will never, ever, ever know how much I love her. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her as much as I possibly can. I'm going to whisper it in her ear as much as I can. I'm going to beat off her potential boyfriends as much as I, you know, I'm going to, you know, knock them to the curb as much as I can. This girl will never, ever know um, how much I love her. And so I was thinking about that again today. Uh, Heidi picked me up here, and uh, Maddox was in the car after school. And uh, the two of us were just sitting on the couch, just the two of us. And he was sitting on my lap and just kind of holding each other. He was eating some crackers. And, and I had that same thought again today. I was like, man, like this kid will never, ever know how much. I, like this kid has no concept of how much I love him. And it was proven by his brother and sister got home about a half an hour later. And, and Maddox and I, you know, we spent this time holding each other and, and enjoying the time together. Dawson and Avery come in, and uh, they run down the stairs, and, you know, they yell, Daddy, and I, I go over, and I, you know, I give them a big hug, and we're, it's just a really cool moment, <clears throat> and I see Maddox over on the couch, and I can tell, like, he's getting, like, visibly upset, and then a couple seconds later, he says, Daddy, like, you love them so much, and you weren't excited to see me, and I'm like, hold on, like, Maddox... We just spent the last half an hour like you sitting on my lap and me holding you. And, and it just proved again like this kid has no concept of how much I love him, how, how much I would give up for him, what, what I would do for him, right? And so then, uh, I'm sorry. Then tonight I'm holding Dawson, oh, worshiping with him. And it was kind of weird in the moment, but he like, he put his like, his arm around my face, you know, almost in a stranglehold, like a worship stranglehold. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I had the thought again, I'm just like, there's, there's no way, there's no way this dude knows. Uh, I, I want to begin tonight. Look, I, I know full well, some of you guys, 
have spent your life uh, incredibly distant from God, maybe verbatim flipping God off, not interested at all. Others of you have, have walked with the Lord for many, many years. To all of us, like we have no idea, no idea how much he loves. And that truth is worth sitting under tonight, isn't it? That truth is worth celebrating tonight, isn't it? Because what I've realized, uh, Andrew put this up for me, what I've realized is that most of us living so self-centrically, pinning God's love solely around what we can understand or what we can experience. In other words, uh, our world is me. And so what's happening around me, what's existing with me, what's celebrating me, what's encouraging me, then, then that's the world that we live in and exist in. But somehow we're studying a letter that's written from a prison cell from a guy named Paul. And somehow there's something that's happened intrinsically in his heart that has made his life not at all about him. And and yet somehow in the the moment that all of us would say, like, man, in in jail, not knowing if you're going to live or die, like, this is is the moment where kind of life meets, you know, the rubber meets the road. And yet, for Paul, it's not a me-centric moment. Why? Because I believe this guy has understood in some facet that he can't understand the depth of God's love. And so what that does then is it creates this lifelong journey to sit in it, to celebrate it, to love the fact that he can never understand how much God loves him. And then he writes things about it all over the Scripture. And so tonight, listen, I want to re-examine this letter, continue our journey through uh, Colossians with the premise tonight that, that not a single one of us can begin to understand how wide or deep is the love of Christ for us. So Father, I pray tonight for your glory and your namesake, uh, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would teach us, that you would guide us, and that in all things, uh, you would be glorified. Please give us another glimpse of how much you love us tonight. In your great name, amen. So open your Bibles, if you can, to the book of Colossians. I showed you guys last week, this is what's left of the city of Colossae. It's uh, in what uh, biblical uh, times call uh, Asia Minor. It's now modern-day Turkey. So what's left is a, uh, you can see some bullet holes there, is a bulleted road sign. There's nothing left there. Uh, I shared last week that it hasn't been dug up, so there's no archaeological finds. We have found some inscriptions on some surface-level rock, but that's about it. From a map's perspective, this is uh, where Colossae is. Uh, You'll see it right there on the Lycus River. I mentioned to you last week that Heropolis and Laodicea uh, are cities that that arose up uh, after Colossae was really um, an awesome founding city, and so soon, uh, by the time of 400 uh, AD, Colossae was non-existent. But from a prison cell, late 50s or early 60s, Paul writes a letter. I shared with you last week, he didn't, he didn't plant the church. He was never there in Colossae. And so somehow he's gotten a word that there's a movement of Christ that's going on in Colossae. He gets that word in a prison cell, and then he pens this letter to encourage them because this area of the world was getting ready to get infiltrated by 
uh, some heresy, by some teaching that was going to downplay the power of Christ. So we looked at verse 1 and 2 last week. I'm going to reread verse 1 and 2, and then tonight we'll study all of verses 3 to 8. Here we go, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Are you there? Say I'm there. Your LED lit up screen says all of that. Verse 1, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. I mentioned uh, Timothy, the young disciple of uh, Paul. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I mentioned to you last week that even though there are a significant amount of times where Paul adds grace and peace to his intros, I think there's something deeper when he says it. So here we go, verse 3. Check this out. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, first of all, it's important to note that Paul's not saying that he always prays for them. Okay? Otherwise, the always would be in a little bit different place. But what it does say is that there in his prison cell, though he's never been there, he has on his heart to pray for this church. And the scripture makes clear to pray to God, to thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his heart. He's praying for them. It shows that they're sitting in his cell, that Paul isn't living a self-centric life. In fact, next slide, I want to point it to you this way. Maybe we can phrase it this way. Are you so trapped by yourself that you cannot see beyond yourself? With your doubts, your fears, your anxieties, your stressors, your addictions, your woes, like picture yourself in Paul's prison cell. Are you so trapped by all of those things that you cannot see beyond the bars? In other words, you're sitting in a room that's filled with mirrors. And so you feel trapped, you feel burdened, you can't go anywhere, and all you do all day long is look intrinsically at all the horrific things that are going on in your experience, or even at times, the joys. That's not Paul. He's sitting in a prison cell, and what he notes as he pens this letter is, I'm consistently thanking God for you. I'm praying for you. Notice that he's not like in his first opening words, hey, pray for me that I'll get let out of, this, uh, out of the can, you know? Like, can someone please help me here? Like, come, let's, you know, uh, devise an escape plan, you know? Like, one day they'll make a show called Prison Break. Can we make it a little bit earlier? Like, you know, like, rally up, figure this out, you know? Let, let, get me out of... Get me out of the jail here. That's not his word. His word, not thinking intrinsically, his word is, um, I'm praying for you. I'm with you. I'm thanking God for you. And now we see in verse 4 what he's thanking God for. Verse 4, look at this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And this verse is astounding to me. He's never been there. By the way, Jesus was never there either. And yet somehow this man, who we'll study here in a few verses, who hears the gospel, goes down from Ephesus and plants the church in Colossae, and then all of a sudden because of the gospel work going out, people begin to trust in Christ. And then what begins to happen synonymously with faith in Christ is a love of others. Uh, James says it this way, faith without works is dead. Like you, you can't have one without the other. If there's faith, then that faith and trust in Christ will show itself, prove itself, as it were, with good works. We're not saved by our works. 
We can never measure up or do enough good things that God one day would be like, yes, you finally arrived. You served 65 homeless people today, were hospitable in your house, and loved your kids well. Now you're saved. It's never going to happen. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? And yet because of that faith that is entrusted in us by God, it produces works. And so in this case, Paul connects faith and love. I'm thanking God. You've trusted your life with Christ. And what that faith has produced is a love of the, and what's the word? Love of the saints. I want to make sure we all understand what Paul means by saints. Uh, There's a a lot of talk in our culture about sainthood, okay? Um, Some of you may be aspiring to be a saint or something, okay? I'm not exactly sure. haven't had all those conversations with you. Uh, Biblically, what this means is by grace through our sister in Christ. Someone who's been saved by grace through faith, trusts in Christ, that's the saints. So loving other believers, that's what he's saying. I thank God, I pray, I'm encouraged that you have trust in Christ and that that trust in Christ has produced a love. He connects the two. So where has the connection gone wrong? Why does it seem like a faith in Christ doesn't automatically imply a love of the brothers and sisters. In other words, we're called to love all people, correct? Am I wrong? Called to love all people. God wouldn't have said through his son Jesus, love your enemies, if he didn't then encompass all people. So we're called to love everybody. And I think maybe you would, you would agree with me that if we're called to love everyone, then that probably should start with the church. In other words, the church, if we can't love them, our brothers and sisters in Christ, then how in the world are we going to love anyone else? So I want to examine this thing that Paul so easily connects and maybe we've so easily disconnected how some of these things have gone wrong. Why do we struggle loving other Christians? Differing viewpoints in theology and doctrine. Number one. Now look, I want to try tonight to be as practical as possible because the beautiful thing about Colossae, it's one of the most relevant letters that Paul ever writes. I mean, it is so today. Now, there is a difference between closed-handed doctrine issues and open-handed doctrine issues. Okay. For us in Matthias, uh, if you get on our website, if you ever go through the MV, you hear the things that we believe in our closed hand. The things that we're like, well, hey, well, listen, we're not arguing about these things. These are all about Christ's centrality, God exaltation, you know, the inerrancy of Scripture. We're only saved through Jesus. There's no other means. All of those things. There's other things that we hold in our open hands like dinosaurs, okay? So people ask me all the time, Mark, what do you believe about the dinosaurs? I don't, like, I don't know. There's some big fossils, you know? I mean, I, they, they existed. Well, when? I'm not sure. Really don't care. Jesus died and he's coming again, you know? Like, like, like I'm not... I don't get hung up on the dinosaurs. You see what I'm saying? And there's all kinds of other peripheral doctrinal conversations that the church seems to be having that have little or nothing to do with Jesus at all and then are dividing themselves over those things and then creating in our hearts disdain for one another and and I would even say hatred. That is completely different than differences about Jesus. Do we understand we're called to love everybody. Okay, uh, that's why I tell you guys all the time. You know, when uh, a Mormon or a uh, 
particular individual comes to my doorstep and they want to talk a religion, I always have the same opening line, okay? Listen, I don't want to talk about heavens or concubines or anything like that. Here's what I want to talk about. What do you believe about Jesus? And unless I hear Savior ransomed on the cross my sins and has paved a way for me to be in reconciled relationship with God, then we are in differing viewpoints. What it doesn't mean, though, is that I'm going to hate them. In fact, much the opposite. How in the world can they experience the love of Christ if I slam the door because they differ with my perspective? Right? So, listen, I don't care who differs with you or what kind of differences have been created in your past or will be in your future. If we let our differences of doctrine and theology create a hatred and a disdain in our heart, I'm just telling you, like, you're not hearing the message of Christ. Not hearing it. Why do we struggle loving other Christians? Number two. Next slide there, Andrew, if you could. Tribe loyalty. So have you ever seen this? That there is, um, because of the local church and uh, the community that's built, and by the way, like, God has blessed us with an amazing family. I feel like we love each other well. I feel like there is a tremendous sense of, of family and community here. I mean, who else can, you know, where, where else do you go where you can have chicken nuggets, right? Like, it's, right? It's just kind of weird. It's family. It's amazing. It's fun. But when that kind of community or loyalty divides us against other communities, other churches, other bodies, where tribe loyalty creates disdain and hatred in our hearts, my friends, we are missing the love of the saints. Uh, what I hear often is when people go to other countries visiting as missionaries, it is very easy to talk about the bride of Christ worldwide, and yet they miss the church that's across the street. Or you'll meet someone in the grocery store, oh, hey, where do you go to church? And they say the name, and because of some erroneous thought that you have, you've never been there, You've never experienced it. You don't know anything about it. But just because of the name, you instantly think in, their, in your mind, communist. Right? <laughs> right? And you're laughing because you've done it. Right? Today, maybe. Okay. Listen. There is something that unifies us in Christ. And Paul commends them for that. Though he's never been there and never seen it. In other words, there's something happening so powerful in Colossae, even different from some of his other letters, that it makes all of its way to the prison cell. I'm just saying right now, church... If there's such a tribe loyalty that we can't love the churches all across our city, all across the world, I would say, then what's happening in your heart is not the love of Christ. It's the love of this. It's the love of brick and mortar. It's the love of community over the person of Jesus. We're just getting started. Number three, why do we struggle loving other Christians? Junior high status advantages. Come on now. Remember junior high? Unless you were homeschooled, do you remember junior high? Right? <laughs> Right? We love homeschoolers here. We love public. We love it all. I'm just saying, like, if you walk through the halls of junior high, you know what this is like. The popularity contest, the constant measuring up. Um, what I see often happens is um, this community is built around people of like lookedness and not like-mindedness. That community is built around a people that provide advantages relationally. Um, where the church becomes just another version of junior high. And so if those relationships then um, 
aren't built on the premise of popularity, then love for other Christians becomes incredibly difficult. So those who look different, those who talk different, uh, those who maybe have a different kind of personality than we would normally hang with, then there's this disdain that grows in our hearts. Look, nowhere in the scripture are you going to see uh, Christ, Paul, anyone write, all right, you need to be like 100% best friends hanging out all the time with every Christian period ever. They don't write. It's not possible. Okay, so the bar here isn't, you know, friendship bracelets, all right? The bar here is loving one another, loving other believers so that the world may see something different in us. Uh, So if you're here and you're uh, struggling because your main intention of being here is because people see you as uh, popular or have some kind of image of you or the only people that you're interested in building relationships uh, here with are are folks that provide you some kind of advantage, I'm I'm sharing with you tonight, it's time to repent. The church isn't built on like-lookedness. It's built on the person of Christ. Number four, just getting started. Here we go. Mmm. Just a resounding mmm, right? One of the things that I do love about our body is uh, people week in and week out, in a lot of families and even here often on Wednesdays, will raise their hand and say, hey, look, here, here I am. Here's all of me. I'm struggling with whatever the case may be. And what I love vocally is that there is a consistent measure of grace that's extended to those people. No one picks up the stone and chucks and ducks. People walk alongside, they journey, and at least vocally forgive. I'm asking you to look beyond the the verbiage. I'm asking you to look in your heart. When someone either confesses or just is caught in failure, in sin, what happens in your heart? Again, vocally, you may have learned the right things to say. But in your heart, is it, I love them. I want to journey with them. God, help me rid of any kind of judgment as I hear about their struggle or, about their struggle or failure. And the world watches Christians backbite one another in failure. And they, pun intended, love it. Because they get to call us hypocrites. What if there was a community? And I pray it's here. Churches in our city. Churches all over the world. Where people struggled, raised their hand, got caught in failure, whatever the case may be. And not just vocally, but in their heart it was... God, help me love them well now. Even though I look at them in a, in a maybe a, a way that a, could be challenging or there's some infiltration in my mind that I need to get rid of, God, help me love them well. I'm asking right now, are there some of those instances right now in and around your life? You've heard things, you found out things, and it's caused you to now like slant the eye a little bit. Number five. Why do we struggle loving other Christians when love requires too much? It's like a love barometer. And we all, in some ways, exist with it. Right? So we're, we're giving love and we're spreading love and we're sharing love. But there is that, like, line somewhere. Okay? Um, 
my wife uh, has that line in general. Um, my wife flourishes in the fall and the spring, okay? Um, it's under 85 degrees, all right? Uh, what happens is when Heidi starts to get, you know, when she starts to get a little bit warm, are any of the rest of you guys like this? It's like everything in her life starts to change, okay? So when it gets to like 89, 90, I keep our house thermostat on like 50 in the summer, right? So I'm just like, man, mama needs to be happy up in here, right? And <laughs> she just, you know, and when it gets hot, she has this, she has this line. And she's over in ML Kids tonight, so we can share these things. Um, <laughs> don't judge me in my failure, all right? Um, You'll get that later. Uh, and, and many of us have this exact same line in our love. When it requires too much, when it goes just above that, that barometer line, then, then we pull away. Paul commends this church because they've connected faith in Christ with love. And I'm just asking you, can they be disconnected at all? Can faith in Christ and love of others, and in this case, the saints, be disconnected at all. And my contention is, they go hand in hand. He goes on, not just to commend their faith and their love, but then check this out. This is unbelievable in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In, in other words, reading 4 and 5 together, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. You, you're, you're able to love others because you're not living self-centrically. You're living with this deeper sense of hope. And come on now, for those of you guys that have ever experienced a tremendous amount of hope, isn't it an amazingly powerful thing? Like where there is hope, oh my goodness, there, there's so much strength and courage and unity. So in the nature tonight of continuing some, some practical challenge, I want to look at some things that are pseudo-hopes because apparently this church has found a way not to celebrate in the pseudo, but in the reality. Some things that provide pseudo-hope, number one, relationships relationships, my friends, where all of a sudden we realize that everything in our life is really about the relationships that we've built around us. And so when this relationship is going well, it provides hope in the relationship and not the gospel. And we start to get a little bit confused. What, what really am I hoping in now? Am I hoping that I'll be able to maintain this relationship or am I hoping that God will do a reconciling work through his son Jesus in the relationship? For some of you guys, relationships 100% sits on the throne of your heart. People way more important than anything else. Some things that provide pseudo-hope, number two. Comforts, and maybe I, I could even say convenient comforts. So when um, you have the worst day in your life, what do you turn to? Let's just, let's just ask that question. For some of you, it's food. How many of you are willing to admit you have the, you have the worst day of your life? How many of you guys turn to food? You're not raising your hand because you have a Kit Kat, okay? You're like, what? I didn't hear you. <laughs> okay. For some of you guys, how many, how many of you in, in, in comfort, it's, it's just, you just want to recluse? Worst day in your life, you just recluse. You want to be alone. Okay, how many of you guys? All right. Yeah. And there's many things. Uh, some of you guys, it's alcohol. Okay, when you want to... Uh, Get away when you've had a bad day, when work is really, you know, built up, when the stress is high. Uh, for you, maybe it's alcohol. 
Uh, for some of you, it's pornography. And the list goes on and on and on. These things provide pseudo, and we could better say, temporary hope. It'll all be better. This will, you know, man, once this drink is down, I'm sure all of the, the cares of this world will go away. They are pseudo hopes and not hope in the gospel that Paul commends Colossae for. Uh, number three, I threw this in because I think it's interesting, the arts. For some of you, a pseudo hope, 100% is your creativity. Why? Because all of a sudden, instead of worshiping the creator, you get to worship the creation that you help make. And it, it creates this, this pseudo hope in you. Um, I, I would say in another way, for some of you, it's just music in general. Okay? You, the love of music so much or the right song at the right time can completely displace your heart. These are pseudo hopes. They're not hope in the gospel. And that's what Colossae is getting commended for, encouraged for by Paul. Next slide. 100% busyness. As long as your, your schedule's packed, then you feel inside like you're contributing. Look, look, can we just collectively say right now, can we just stop saying the word I'm busy? Can we, can we make a pact as a church? We, like, welcome to the world. Right. Right, like, the next time I hear a college student say they're busy, I'm seriously going to, like, you know, Hulk Hogan. I don't even, I didn't even watch WWE, but, you know, whatever his move was. Like, a college student comes up to me, you know, time and time again, man, I'm just so busy. I'm like, you got any kids? <laughs> nope, no kids. You got a mortgage? Nope, I live in a dorm. <laughs> you got to make your food? Nope, the lunch lady does. I never want to hear busyness ever. Come out of your mouth again. But Mark, I, I'm a waiter. Okay, and you go to school and whatever. Like, that's not busy. Right. Okay. But many of us find comfort, comfort, hope in the fact that you can provide another paycheck, that you can put food on another table. Our hope isn't in anything that we have here and now. Our hope is in the hope of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying about this church. He's never been there, never planted the church, never even visited with the vast majority of the people, and yet word has spread that they are a hopeful people. It's beautiful. Next slide. And finally, success. Mm. You finally get that raise. You finally finish that project. You finally conquer that relationship. She finally pays attention to you. He finally says hi. And the list goes on and on and on. And these things all steal the premise that the gospel should hold on our heart. Now listen, I want to look at these from a little bit different light. Look, look at these here, here for a second. When the gospel is what we're hoping in, and God in his grace provides relationships, praise be to God. When our comfort is found in not the comforts that feed us or that help us get our mind off of things, but when our comfort is found in the God of all comfort that scripture talks about, praise be to God. When we get to worship and celebrate the arts, we're reminded of how great the creator is. So isn't it interesting that all of these pseudo-hopes can actually be things that can turn us to the beauty of the gospel itself. In other words, repentance right now is so close for all of us because all it takes is a mind and a heart shift to see these things. Like busyness, we, we could change the word and just say, God, use my life for the glory of yourself. 
success and victory. I mean, we celebrate and live in victory every day of our life. Look, you give any person in this room sickness, and in Christ, they have Christ. You take any job away. You burn any house down. It doesn't matter. All of the things of this world are pseudo. There's one thing that remains, and that is the person of Christ. These are the things that separate us. These are the things that Paul is commending the church for. You have hope in the gospel. What more do you want? Because when everything is going downhill... When life seems like it's taken a drastic turn downward, at the end of the day, you still have the one thing that you need, the only thing that you need, and that is the person of Christ. This is the depth and the love that God has for us. He goes on in verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and I love this, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Do you believe this? In the whole world. I mean, this is in a time where the gospel, man, it seemed like it was in such a small segment of the globe. And yet Paul's like, no, no, no. It is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among, among you. Um, I like to use this image, but uh, have any of you guys ever been, uh, well, let me just share it this way. Um, have you ever been like around water that just has sat stagnant for a good period of time? Like, have you ever been around a, a puddle or a pool that is just like green algae and it, like, there's no waves, it's just been sitting there, right? Well, there's a certain level of, of stench that comes with stagnation. In other words, like, water needs to be moving for it to have any semblance of a good smell or the right amount of chlorine, either one, right? But there's a stagnation that, is, that, that, that goes a hand in hand, and we could say it this way, a certain level of comfort is met with complacency. Like the gospel in our lives is forever bearing fruit and forever increasing. A stagnation, complacency, uh, those terms go completely against what Jesus says. Here, check this out. I love this verse from John chapter 15. Here's what he says. Abide in me and I in you, in the red letters. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you're abiding in Christ, much fruit is being born. Another place in scripture, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Paul's encouraged because he sees not a stagnant faith, not a complacent faith in Colossae, but a faith that is increasing and bearing much fruit. And as he says, in all of the world. Verse 7, we see the name of the church planter in Colossae, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us, look at this, your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras He's heard the gospel in Ephesus when Paul was there for three years. He goes down to Colossae, spreads the gospel, plants the church, and now Paul says, man, keep following this guy. He's leading you to the person of Jesus. So I've looked at as many of the letters that I can of Paul, as many of his writings as I possibly can, and I really see a certain level of encouragement towards this church about love Uh, Then I do, I would say, any of his other letters. 
and yet he's never been there. So how is it that a church that Paul didn't plant and a place that Jesus never went live in such love? Next slide. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, if you've been sleeping or haven't heard anything tonight, look at this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Is that grabbing anyone else besides me tonight, right? Like right now? I mean, he could have said so many things, right? By this, they will know that you are my disciples. If you can preach a killer sermon, it doesn't say it. By this, they will know that you're my disciples. If you're the best worship leader ever, by this, you know, and on and on and on. He doesn't say any of those things. Jesus, the red letters, John, John 13, 35. By this, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That love that's produced from a deep trust in Christ, knowing that because you trust in Christ, it breaks down all barriers that you don't have to worry about anymore. And because those barriers are broken, now you are freed to love all. In this case, the saints and the church beginning, because if we can't love one another in Christ, then how in the world can we love the world? So I want to look at this as a way of encouraging us here as we draw this to a close. What can go wrong in loving others? If we're to like leave here with some kind of encouragement or how are we to implement some of these things, let's look at this. You love and they don't love back, right? Because I don't want in any way for this tonight to be some like love motivational, you know, I don't want, we're not going to come back next week wearing tie-dye, okay? It's not going to happen, right? But that's one of the things that can go wrong. And I put wrong here in quotations for a reason. Like, you love and you don't get love back. And so you're like, well, why, why should I love? Listen, if our love is based on the love that others give us, I mean, we would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me? Like, it's, it's almost a rare thing to experience the kind of reciprocation of love from others. Doesn't it seem kind of strange sometimes when others give it back? Certainly can go wrong. Next slide. You sacrifice much, and they sacrifice little. And so what starts to happen in your heart is you're like, look, I, there needs to be an equal level of sacrifice here. I can't love them. I, I can't journey with them. My faith in Christ, okay, but there needs to be equal level of sacrifice. Listen, do you see how this can kill the church? Because you start looking to your left and to your right, and you start thinking, well, what are they doing here? How are they serving here? Are they outgiving me? And then all of a sudden we create a inward. Again, we, we've never vocalized it because we're PC. We can say the right things. But inwardly, we start to create this classification system across one another, right? Next slide. What can go wrong in loving others? You love unconditionally. They have stipulations. Right? So you leave here like, God, change my heart with a trust in you, break down every barrier, I want to love others, and then you start lavishing love unconditionally, 
And then you start realizing that everyone else has stipulations. Listen, this is the, this is the whole point of this evening. If you leave here and your love is based on the love of others, then they'll know us by our judgment. And they'll know us by our hatred. And they'll know us by all of the ways that we've classified one another. And they'll know us by our Christian popularity contest instead of love. All of these things become frustrating. Next slide. This is a huge one that becomes frustrating for us. We're faithful and then they break trust. And we're like, I'm out. Because, man, love definitely has a barrier. Like, there's a certain level, man. I, if I can't trust you anymore, then forget it. Think of the amount of relationships in your heart. You're like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that brother or sister in Christ because they broke trust. Have you ever broken trust before? Are you flawless in your faithfulness? Have you ever slighted the truth just, just a little bit? Well, yeah, maybe, but they did it to me. And who did you do it to? Or, do, do, or did it today or have done it before? What happens is like you start to see your need for grace and start to extend it to others as well. And finally, what can go wrong in loving others? You extend grace and they take advantage of it, right? You forgive and then you find them a day later in need of forgiveness again. And then a day later in need of forgiveness again. And then you just grow weary. So I was thinking about all these things. So I'm like, all right, so I desire for us to be the church in Colossae. Like, I desire for, for the world, for St. Charles, to know us by our love. I, I desire for, uh, for people to look at us and say, you know what, those, those people, man, they got a lot, man, they make a ton of mistakes. Those, I mean, they're idiots sometimes. That, you, know, they, they, well, you know, they do all kinds of things errantly. But, man, they sure do love people. They love one another. They take care of one another. They're hospitable. They welcome others in. Don't, don't you want that to be said of us? So the question then, like, what's our action step? How can we leave here? Do we, like, gird up our loins, pull up our bootstraps, and be like, all right, everyone, our plan is love. So let's go to it. Or, or, you see this this way. What can go wrong in loving others? He loves, and you don't love him back. Has that ever happened before? He showers you with love, and you turn your back? He provides direction, answers that prayer that you've been pleading for months, and then you take credit for it yourself. He sacrifices much, and we sacrifice little. He gives of himself, bleeds out himself on a cross, and, and what do we have to offer? I say, thankfully, nothing. But the depth of his love in this way, look at this. He loves unconditionally. We have stipulations. God will love you only if. Only if. And our love meter for the Lord goes up and down based on the seasons of our life or how much he's blessing us or how much he's giving us. He's faithful. We continually break trust. He extends grace. We keep taking advantage of it. And here's the point. Has it stopped his love of us at all? Has our unfaithfulness, has our taking advantage of grace, 
Has the depth of our breaking of any kind of promise or covenant that we can make, have any of that stopped the pursuit and the love of a great God? The answer is no. He still loves. He still pursues. And I believe tonight, holding you, literally speaking over your life, you will never, ever understand how much I love you. I think the church in Colossae feels that grasp and trusts in the one who's holding him and then says, then all barriers are broken. I now can be freed to love those who have wronged me, to care for the disenfranchised, to extend my hand of hospitality even if the hand won't be returned. And I believe that kind of life is the life that the world says those people, they are disciples of Jesus. Let's stand together, come on. feel like right now you have, an, you have an amazing opportunity. There's been a lot of things shared tonight, a lot of perspectives for you to look at. I think we all have an amazing opportunity right now to repent of the areas that we have lacked love and grace, ways that we're showing the world that we are not great representatives. Uh, representatives, ambassadors for the Lord. I just want to provide space and time right now for you to take this time and just repent. Turn from your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord. Right now, just bask in his forgiveness. Just take this space, come on. For some of you who have never, ever, ever encountered the depth of a good, good father who loves you because of the perfection of his son and not because of any good deed that you could ever do, if that's you right now in this moment, just like, I'm tired of living with all these pseudo hopes. The scripture says, call in his name. The Bible says everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We're given grace through faith in Christ. Receive the beautiful gift that's His Son. So God, we thank You tonight that You're faithful despite our faithlessness. We thank You, God, tonight that You never break trust. We thank You, God, tonight that Your love isn't based on our ability to follow You perfectly. So God, I pray tonight that we sit in a sea of your love. That you infiltrate this entire room. That God, the world would know us.
by people who have experienced the depth of your love and then can show it to others freed from any kind of bondage or barrier. So break the barriers of our hearts. God, kill any hatred, purge it out of our lives, and I pray that we would show the world how much you love us by how we can love them. God, please do that work in us now.